fresh him and we're praying that God will meet with us here as is his intent. We are the church. We are a local church. The body of Christ is vast. It spans for almost 2,000 years. Different countries, different languages, different ages of people. Multiple churches in one city. But God hears us as we pray. And he knows us right where we are. And he knows the struggles we face. And he knows his intent, his purpose, his unbending, unflinching purpose to shape us into the image of his son. And that is glorious. And that is a high calling. And that is a privilege to be a part of, isn't it? Let's pray again as we open up to the book of Psalms. If you'd open up there with me, and I'll start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we do worship you. We bow down in our spirits. We adore you and worship you because you are great. There is none like you who alone spoke this world into existence and spread those stars so far apart and so craftily fashioned man with eyeballs and a beating heart in a tongue that is discerning of every taste. We ask you, God, to help us to discern your presence among us, that you'll help us to discern your will and to give ourselves wholly to it, to you, by which will we are sanctified. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for calling us to be his bride, his family members, his co-heirs. Help us to study your word today and be refreshed, encouraged by what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I invite you to the second psalm, and I'm going to read from Acts chapter 4 here where they quote from it. See if you can hear the echo of Psalm 2 here where the first group of apostles and disciples are meeting together beginning to experience persecution. And they say to God, Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagine vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom you, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And opening now to that second psalm, why do 
the heathen rage. And he doesn't answer it. So hopefully we'll come back at the end of our, of our survey of this psalm together and consider, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. And as the apostles saw this, this was the, the heathen here is the nations, the nations, multiple nations, especially the Romans, but together with the people of Israel. The people is a reference to Israel, and they imagine, they conceive with their mind. In their imagination, they have seen an objective, a goal to be attained. Ha <laughs> ha! But it is vain. It's empty. They will grab <laughs> nothing but thin air as they try to accomplish their purpose. How sad. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Hey guys, what's we gonna do? And they're, they're talking together. They're forming a council. They're coming up with a plan. The kings set themselves. That means to station themselves like football players on the line. And they are getting set to execute their plan. They're putting all their force, their strength, their will into the plan and into making it happen. As we keep reading, we'll see what their plan is. One of the reasons I just really like this psalm is because it's a messianic psalm. That is, it tells us something about Jesus. Did you hear that earlier? They've gathered themselves against the Lord and against his Christ, against his anointed one. And there are, there are actually only a handful of scriptures that talk about the Christ with those terms, the, the Christ. And this is one of them. And it's really fun to see all that we can learn about the Christ from these few different psalms, and this is one of them. I also like this psalm because it reaches back into the Old Testament and it has us equally planted in the New Testament where these things actually were fulfilled. Amazingly so. But I also love it so much because it reaches beyond the history of the New Testament into the future prophecies that we find in the New Testament. Things are happening here which haven't happened yet. And God, by His Spirit, unveiled. As if He downloaded the MP4 right into David's brain. Kind of like He gave Nebuchadnezzar the vision. Or Pharaoh had the vision of the, the different years of prosperity and the, the years of want that Joseph needed to prepare for. God reveals the future to his prophet, David. David was a prophet and a king. And it's as if he is 
parachuted down into this scene where he sees what's happening. He hears what's going on. He hears them say, and in verse 3, he's got their script. We know what it is. Let us break their bands asunder. Let's snap the chains and cast away their cords from us. Throw them off. Let's be free. I really enjoyed Brother Robert's uh, sharing about Onesimus in the book of Philemon this morning. One of the things he mentioned, every slave wants to be free. And this is the predicament of these kings and these rulers. They find themselves unhappily adjoined to the Lord and his Christ. Don't want that anymore. Let's be done with it. Rip them off. Rip off the chains. Cursed be the cords that bind. They are not having a happy day, a happy time. And the text doesn't really tell us what these chains are, does it? But what are some of God's governing rules for us? I would suggest that the Ten Commandments could easily fit the bill here. And man, mankind, doesn't appreciate the restraint. Whether it's being made in the image of God, male and female, that might have an uncomfortable rub. Or we're told in, I think it's 1 Timothy 4, let me just turn there real quickly, that the Spirit is foretelling what's going to happen in the end times. And because this psalm is not yet fulfilled, I think it's okay that we jump ahead. The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, meh, marriage, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth, etc., Perhaps we could posit that these chains are a reference to God's moral laws. They don't want that anymore. But it's also His Christ. They are in rebellion, and they want to get away. And that the nations are in a tumult, and that's what it means to rage. They are in a rage, like a, an angry sea that's boisterous and there is lots of unrest, and it's raging, and it's getting louder, and we're going to rebel. We're going to get together, and we're going to pull this thing off. (laughs) 
really the Lord and His anointed? No. Do you remember the Old Testament story of Aminadab? Excuse me, what's his name? Oh, it's evading me. Well, Solomon had a brother. And someone can throw it at me if you think of it. And when David was old and David was cold on his throne and they had to get a young lady to sit in his lap and keep him from shivering, time went on and people wondered, who will be the next king? How long is the king going to hold out? I know he's doing okay, but maybe not for very long. And somebody had the bright idea that there's the one. He's the one for the throne. And, oh, thank you, Absalom. And Absalom, thank you, that's actually, <laughs> Absalom was the one who was, desirous of his sister. No, he was the brother of Tamar. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting into all this complicated family history of King David. So, could I have that name one more time? Adonijah. Thank you. Adonijah was the one who said, I think I could do this. And he had the support of Joab and they went off without telling the king, for he was old and he was cold and, you know, he just maybe didn't need to be concerned with this. And they make Adonijah king. At least they were about to. They had a prophet there ready to anoint him. They, were, they had the barbecue going and things were coming along nicely. But while they're having the party, there is nervousness and maybe Great concern, even the threat of one's life is in her lap, as Abigail is, was it Abigail, the mother of Solomon? Bathsheba, thank you. This is terrible. I should have studied. <laughs> so Bathsheba is nervous for her life, and she says to Nathan, the prophet, was it Nathan? I know it was Nathan, okay, this time. <laughs> and she says, uh, <clears throat> could you help me remind the king about Solomon? Because they're anointing his brother over there. So Nathan goes in and tells David, and David says, oh yes, I remember. Bring him here. Get him my horse. Send him out. Crown him king. Anoint him. And they go, and they have their, I don't want to say barbecue celebration, but they have their coronation celebration. Woohoo! The city rings with the celebration, and they hear it over here in this camp, and they go, oh! And they are afraid for their lives. That's what comes to my mind when I think about these kings saying, yeah, away with the Lord. 
This is our world. We're going to run it the way we see fit. Come on, guys. Let's cast off his rule. Ha, 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 ha. And the Lord, he who sits in the heavens. I've done it in an airplane, but I'm not sitting still. But that's not a reference to me or to any mere man. This is a reference to God. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord, Adonai, shall have them in derision. What does that mean? That means to ridicule, to mock, to scorn. The Lord will have them in derision. Proud and boastful one moment. They are scared and running for their lives the next. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Vex. Vex. And that means to terrify. Ah! You could imagine in a dark room with a little kid and what happens. Did you imagine it? It's terrible that I would have done such a thing as a kid. It was done to me too, though. Doesn't make it right. Okay, so he will speak to them in his wrath. He addresses them verbally and vex them. What he says cuts to their heart and takes all the air out of their tires. What does he say? Yet have I set my king. Yet. It's a little change in direction here. Kind of like saying, but. Yeah, you think it's going one way, but. It's actually like this. Yet have I set my king. I have set. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And that is God the Father's decree. That's, that's God the Father's words to those who are in utter sheer rebellion against him. That's it. One sentence. Not what you think, but what I want. Who's world is this? And how does this world belong to God? Says who? By virtue of creation. He made it. It's his. Who can argue the claim? Where is any rival? There are none. There is none. My wife could help me with that one. I also love this psalm because I see a drama in it. And I, we tried to act it out a little bit in our Wednesday night time. But if there was a playwright, there would be four characters. There is number one, the narrator, which I believe is none other than David. Because he had the vision and he wrote the psalm. 
but we also get the voice of the nations. We know what they're thinking, what they're saying. So we have two characters and a third just spoke. And it was, who was it? He who sits in the heavens. It was whom David calls Adonai. And then in verses 7 through 9, we have another character. Let's see who this is. I will declare the decree. Whoever this is, I think he's holding something in his hand and he's about to read a formal announcement for us. I'll take it from here, Pa, if I could be so down to earth. I will declare the decree. Yahweh has said to me, you are my son. This day have I begotten thee. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen, or the nations, for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them, with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Back to the narrator, verses 10 and following. Who is speaking in verses 7 through 9? Who is it? Isn't that cool? That is the Son of God. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Around 1100 B.C. And we got his words right here, his script. These are words that David heard in a vision from God, that the Holy Spirit inspired him to pen down for our meditation, for our comfort, for our encouragement, for our edification, I will declare the decree. My heavenly Father said. I'll tell you what happened behind the scenes. He said to me, that, that, that. And we've got it. Well, before we, before we move on, let me just, cons let's consider some of the New Testament tie-ins for some of this. Uh, verses 1 through 3, we already kind of covered that in, from Acts chapter 4, how the nations together with the people of Israel, were against the Lord and His Christ. And then Yahweh's response in verses 4 through 6. Yet have I set my king. God has His choice. Not Saul, but David. Not Adonijah, but Solomon. Not you bunch of guys who hate the Lord, but my son Jesus. And 
Don't we see that all over the New Testament? Because Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. And in Romans 14, 9, Paul says, hey guys, don't be judging each other or despising one another. Here is why Jesus both died and rose again, that he might be Lord of all the living and the dead. He earned that right to be your judge and mine. So we don't need to play that role in each other's lives. Jesus both died and rose again, that he might be Lord of all. We could go on and on. You know, there's, we could get into Revelation and let may the rocks fall on us when they know the king is coming. In Acts 17, Paul said, and I could quote this on a good day, but just to be clear, Acts 17, he says that God has appointed a day in the which he will judge. God will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he has given assurance to all men and that he has raised him from the dead. God is going to judge the world by one man, the Lord Jesus. He is exalted. He is king. He is Lord of all. And we rejoice in that. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hands. All things are delivered to me of my Father, Jesus said. And does he love the nations or does he just punish them? <laughs> I'm sure this congregation is a very international congregation in our roots from all over the world. And yes, God loves the nations and he's given great hope. Romans 15, Romans 10, talk about this and go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God loves the nations, but it's the nations who refuse God and the leaders who want to shut him out and bring glory Riches, power, honor, which do not rightly belong to them, God will judge them severely. They will be broken, crashed, dashed in pieces. And let's finish this up in 9, excuse me, 10 through 12. Back to the narrator. Here's a piece of advice now. O ye kings. Isn't that cool too? Isaiah and Amos at least. And Elijah, excuse me, Elisha went to foreign kings and they had specific messages. Sure God cares for the kings of this world. And here he's giving advice. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Hey judge, I know you usually make the call, but this time, listen to sound advice. Because I got one for you. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
Sound like anything you've heard from the book of Philippians? Kiss the Son. Pay homage to Him. Acknowledge His dignity, His honor, His lofty, exalted, second-to-none position. Second to His Father only. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish from the way. Oh, it's up to you, king, ruler, and individual. Which way do you want it? Your way or his way? If you go with your way, you've got the fruits. If you go with his way, you've got good fruits. Is it not much better? Lest you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little just a little bit, and toast is served. It's not funny. It's not funny at all because Jesus talked about, let those be brought here who did not want me to rule over them. Let them be bound. Let them be sent out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth where the fire is never quenched and where the worm never dies. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. Blessed are all they. That means blessed is every single one who puts their trust in Him. Blessed is everyone who puts their trust in Him. Where is your trust? I can do this on my own. I'll do it my way. Or will you submit to God? His judgment is coming. We know His moral law. He cuts it straight. And He sees the thoughts and intents of our heart. He knows us. We stand before Him as if naked. And He's got a long list of every single thing we've ever done. And we can either accept His gracious offer of receiving His Son as our Savior in light of His coming judgment we can receive Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. I believe that you were God who became man like me to suffer in my place. You did no sin for my sins you died. My sins were placed upon you and God's wrath was poured out on Jesus for me. And I'm going to trust that what God says about his son is true that he raised him from the dead to give eternal life to all who trust in him. And that king who was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God is coming back. And he will judge. And he will save. And we can be saved. Blessed are all those who trust in him. Or on this side are those who have rejected the offer. And what is there for you? What is there for me? If I forsake his grace and his love what I deserve for my pride, for my sin, and for my rebellion against God and for shooing or rejecting his love. He is a just God. I would simply get what I deserve. 
and all of them on this side of the equation will be cast into the lake of fire. They will stand before God Almighty on a great white throne and will be judged according to their works. I'm so glad he's gracious. I'm so glad he offers blessing. And today, as we read this one more time, that last phrase, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Rejoice that all, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is yours. You are blessed. If you are in Christ, you are blessed with every blessing. In Christ, we are blessed with him. Listen to this from... Revelation 2, he says, He who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter, they shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father, says Jesus, speaking to his church speaking to the believers who follow him. And what we just read in Psalm 2, ask of me, what God the Father gives to the Son, the Son shares with all those who follow him. There's a better world coming, a better day coming, and it's just as sure as Christ's first advent. He really came, he really did win the victory over sin and death for us. And blessed are all those who trust in him. And if you're one of those on this side, rejoice. Think of all the blessing that Christ will have and that he'll share. And think of what a different world it will be when there is one Lord over all and everybody's submitted to him. So if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you're here today and haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ personally, Right now, you could do that from where you're sitting. It's one prayer away, one faith away between you and Jesus Christ. Would you call on him today from where you are and say, Lord Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner and that you died for me, that you paid the penalty that I deserve for sin, which is death. You died and you arose from the dead to give me forgiveness and eternal life. And he will save you. There's none that he refuses. Heavenly Father, thanks so much that you are faithful. Thank you, Jesus, that you do not turn away those who turn to you. Though we have sinned, that's why you came, to take away sin. Help us rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.